0: Welcome to the West End Best Friend Podcast. I'm Robin Dibbin. And I'm Jack Gerbertson, and we have a jam-packed episode for you this month. Coming up, we have a guide to the history of musicals on the silver and the small screen. A bumper, can't believe I'm saying this, interview with Spitlip, creators and stars of the incredible Operation Mincemeat. And of course, all the big news from the West End and beyond. Let's crack on. So, Jet, how has your last month been? It has
1: been... A bit of a roller coaster, not going to lie. I have been, I've not been as well as as I could have been. So I have been able to be out and see some theatre, but not as much as I uh, wanted to. What I have managed to squeeze in, though, were two shows. I went to see Precipice at MT Fest, which was written by my husband, Adam Gerber, and Tori Allen Martin, which was great. And Obviously, we spoke to Paul Taylor Mills about MT Fest. Precipice is just this really sweet little show about being in your 30s and all of the stresses and... Life choices that you have to make there, and I think they've really captured something really, really lovely. So I went to see that, which was great, and I think Touchwood, you know, it'll have a life outside of MT Fest, and we can keep track of it because i think a lot of the audience were just like yeah i needed to see this it's all about you know whether or not to have children if you want children how dating's going if you've not found that person that you're supposed to be with if that is even something that you want i think it was a really a really special piece and then last week i went to see sylvia at the old vic which was really really fun beverly knight is in there as Emmeline pankhurst tells the story of sylvia pankhurst and this sort of fight for suffrage it's a huge huge show um sort of takes inspiration from hamilton that retelling of history bringing hip-hop in it's a really interesting way of like Putting that history on stage, massive audience reaction, really really fun. It's done by the dance troupe that did Into the Hoods, like the the hip hop retelling of of the fairy tales. And I think that that really came through. That you know this was a beautifully dance focused piece that then was just elevated by all these songs to it. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Other than that, lots and lots of TV at home. I've been watching Girls Five Ever, which started out I wasn't entirely sure. In episode seven, I was like, yeah, this is exactly exactly what I need. We watched Cabaret the other night, which is great. And then the previews of Hercules
0: on Broadway. I have not. I know it exists and I'm very excited about it, but I've not actually seen any video of it yet.
1: So I was watching this last night. It looks Absolutely amazing Alan Menken has written new songs for it So it's like not just the original songs that everyone knows But it's new songs as well And then it's got James Monroe Inglehart in it Playing Phil, like Phil And I just, I I mean, I think it's going to be amazing I haven't ever been to New York And I feel like now I need to hop on a plane ASAP Because it looks really good But you have been making up for lost time With the fact that I've not been able to go to the theatre Because you've been out like a lot,
0: right? (laughs) I've been out a little bit (laughs) I'm I'm jealous (laughs) of you seeing Sylvia. I'm really intrigued by Sylvia because Beverly Knight's in it mainly. Uh, Absolute powerhouse! Like that voice is incredible. But if you would, you recommend it? Should I try and try and catch it?
1: Um, I think it wasn't quite for me. Um, I mean the scale of it is really, really special, and the amount of work. I think it's got a little bit more work to do because it does go through quite a lot of history very, very quickly, and I think sometimes it can be a little bit. A little bit of a whirlwind, but I think that there is a place for it. I think it could do with a lit- maybe another redraft. The second song was like Sylvia singing about being in love with Keir Hardy since she was seven, and for a feminist musical about a massive icon of the suffragette movement, I don't think the second song should be about her singing about a boy. Um, <laughs> but then maybe I'm just cynical. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it should be the I want song, and maybe she shouldn't want a boy. Um, <laughs> A boy who was best friends with her dad.
1: <laughs> Just, you know, I appreciate the historical record can't be challenged too much. And that was true. But at the same time, eh, maybe put it later in the show.
0: <laughs> Amazing
1: um so what have you been up you've been seeing um you've been seeing your own powerhouse women on stage you've seen the Share show I
0: have yes the Share show came to Bristol so of course I had to go and check it out Daniel Sears was in it which she was in the Bat Out of Hell original cast where mm-hmm. I saw her first phenomenal singer so we were like we have to go and see it it's great I didn't really know how much I liked Share. I didn't know much Share, <laughs> and we were just like yeah let's just go it'll be fun and honestly, if it comes near you, just go and see it. Even if you're not sure about Cher, it's a really great night.
1: Oh, no, Cher is an icon. And also, I think, like, I think I probably know more Cher songs than I think I know. Like, because in my head, it's like, okay, they've got, like, the Sonny and Cher, I Got You, Babe, and then you've also got, like, I, like, Believe... But imagine this, you know, I'll probably start listening to being like, oh, my God, yeah, this banger.
0: Yes, definitely. It's very much like that. And then they just keep slipping them in and you're like, oh, my God, I know this one. I know this one. But then you also hear a lot about Cher's story and bits you probably didn't know and what was happening behind the cameras and how her life has actually been very up and down in terms of professional career. Also, lots of tea with Sunny. I'm not going to spoil anything, but that's, that happened. Um, but the, <laughs> what's great about it, and what I love about musical theatre that allows you to do this, is there's Cher in three stages of her life. Mm-hmm. So you've got Debbie Currup playing Cher, you've mm-hmm. uh, playing the older Cher, you've got Daniel Steers playing kind of middle-aged Cher, and you've got Millie O'Connell playing young Cher. Oh, that's lovely. And all three of them are kind of on stage at the same time so when it Mm -hmm. starts with young share she's doing all the life of young share but danielle steers and debbie kerup are also on stage watching over chatting about it communicating with her and that happens throughout the show and i really love musical theater when it does that because it feels like a real immersive storytelling method and it's it's great other stars in it lucas rush as sunny he was awesome jake mitchell as bob mackie again really really great it's it's great it's a really good night out
1: no I I'm, I'm fully sold that sounds amazing and I love that idea of like the dialogue between the different parts of yourself and um, being able to like contextualize your own life I think that, that sounds really special so yeah I'm definitely gonna check that out yes what sure. else have you been seeing
0: I also I went to London for my birthday in
2: February
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I had to see it it was on my list I saw my sons a queer and, and oh my days <laughs> it was amazing Rob Madge is phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm. one one person shows are like scary to even consider putting on, let alone one so raw and personal as your own story and growing up as a as a queer person. You just fall in love with Rob from, you know, ten seconds in, you're you're fully behind them. And they just take you on this ride that is just beautiful. It's really beautiful theatre. I went with my boyfriend. Who I'm slowly introducing him into musical theatre, and this—I like I'm slowly of... introducing him to the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this was this was kind of a little—I wouldn't say a stretch because that's that's really harsh. It was it was more of an interesting show to introduce him to because it's yeah, not one... it's not
1: like taking him to like Lion King. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like... exactly. Yeah,
0: it's it's a one-person show with no interval, so it's mm-hmm. a completely different experience, and and he wasn't sure what to expect. He loved it. He cried before I did. Um, (laughs) Success! (laughs) I was fine until uh, uh, about three quarters of the way through the show. And you learn about a present. I'm not going to spoil anything, but you learn about a present that Rob's grandparents gave them. And I was gone from there. (laughs) And then they started singing We Will Be Loved Anyway. And I I was ugly crying, basically, from there oh Robin I'm getting chills it sounds so beautiful <laughs> I mean that song makes me cry when I listen to the soundtrack anyway and the first few chords started and I was gone I was like well here we go um, <laughs> oh my god honestly try and see it they've just had a two week extension which is really exciting for them so please go and see this little show because it's so special I'm really hoping yeah. that it's got more life in it because I think a lot of people need to see it
1: I hope it has a tour or something like that because I think that's one of the benefits of it being a one-person show is that, you know, you get to take it on the road with a little bit
0: less baggage and stuff. But yeah, besties, let us know if you go. I think that would be absolutely brilliant. Definitely. And I also saw Back to the Future. I managed to score rush tickets for Back to the Future. Amazing. Always fun when you manage to get them. And we got to see Roger Bart before they finish. Mm -hmm. And it was great it was a really great show the delorean effects are incredible i've never quite seen effects like it in a show the use of projection and also the car and movement and everything is is awesome i think for me the show the songs were a little bit kind of forgettable okay they were enjoyable in, in the time i can remember roughly two of them the rest of them were just a bit I don't know. To me, they weren't very memorable. And Mm -hmm. I almost feel that it it would have been better to have more DeLorean in it. (laughs) Always more DeLorean. You need more DeLorean. So I almost feel an original story in the Back to the Future universe would have been more effective.
1: Okay, so one where perhaps it's not that familiarity with it, with the story and people loving it, and actually they can play with it a little bit more because you don't have to keep it
0: canon and be like, no, this is a sacred text. Yes, so they've updated the story a little bit just to bring it into modern times when doc brown has the plutonium he's stolen it from a like a factory rather than from the libyans so the libyans don't come and shoot him
1: <laughs> yeah that's
0: fair libya i think i mean
1: world uh, politics is what i'm supposed to be most uh most up to date
0: with but i don't think the libyans are doing anything bad at the moment no so, no it, so we've popped just to slander them for no reason i did i did miss doc brown being like it's the libyans marty it's the libyans so i did miss that a little bit but it, it was fine how it worked and the effects were great the marty's dad was amazing he was literally just like plucked out of the movie really good characterization and the, the whole cast were great the energy was amazing i just yeah for me just some of the songs were a little bit there weren't any I, like circle of lives or defined gravities in there
3: i
1: wonder though because i know you i think as a you must have a different view of it As a musical theatre fan Versus like That is one show That is doing phenomenally I think with non Sort of theatre going audiences right. And I think actually As long as it's got like Really good fun sh- things Whilst it's happening And it does have to be quite I think As you come to what you're saying almost Has to be quite good To the original plot Because I don't think A lot of the people You know You're going to go take your dad To see it Or whatever Who's someone who's grown up with it They're not going to get The soundtrack on Spotify later But what they are going to do Is have an amazing time whilst they're in there and have the whirlwind and enjoy the effects and enjoy those bits from their childhood that are coming to stage
0: that's very true yeah so i'm looking at it from a musical theater point of view whereas it's a very safe show to take non-musical theater people and mm-hmm. i've had a lot of friends say to me that you know they want to take their their partners or something and they're not into musical theater but they think they will really like back to the future because it's that safety in knowing the story and what my one of my favorite bits Oh, my God. In the overture, because it's an official production, they can use all the music from the movie. So the overture has got the back-to-feature theme in it. And in the... That was done on an overdriven guitar. And I I lost it. I, I was sat next to my boyfriend. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> He was like, "What?" Is it how- I'm like, is it, "Can you not hear how epic this is?" <laughs> and how did your non-musical theater-loving boyfriend find it? Well, he he likes musical theater. He does like music. okay. I wouldn't say he's non-loving. He he does like it, and I'm introducing him to more. But he he thoroughly enjoyed it. He thought it was great. Good. He really loved the Delorean, and yeah, he he really liked it. So it was great. But do try and see it because it is epic, and it's doing really well. And just for the Delorean effects alone, it's definitely worth seeing.
1: on to the news. If people aren't coming down to London, we have taken a roundup this month of some of the tours that have recently been announced that are going around the UK and Ireland this year. Now, first up, the UK and Ireland tour of Disney's Aladdin has been announced to start in October this year, 2023. That means their critically acclaimed Broadway and West End musical will be opening in Edinburgh in October, followed by dates in Cardiff, Plymouth, Sunderland, and Milton Keynes and they've got more cities to be announced as well. Now I've never seen this. I didn't see it when it was in town. I think it's absolutely beautiful family show and I hopefully it'll get to go up to Glasgow and maybe I'll be able to go and see it with my in-laws because I think that they would be very very into a Disney Aladdin on stage. But yeah, that is going around the country
0: from the autumn. Another tour Hamilton is to embark on its first UK tour from November of this year. It's been announced that the multi-award winning Hamilton will tour the UK for the very first time. It's going to open at the Manchester Palace on the 11th of November for a 15-week season. And then it's going to have a run at the Festival Theatre in Edinburgh from the 28th of February. More dates are to be announced, but it's obviously having very long kind of residencies at different theatres. Tickets go on sale for the season in Manchester and Edinburgh on the 13th of March. And you can sign up for early access at hamiltonmusical.com slash uk
1: yeah let's be honest people should be getting there immediately and getting those tickets booked for christmas presents because that is an absolute <laughs> knockout um and speaking of christmas the wizard of oz is opening its uk tour at the liverpool empire this christmas um, so if you're wanting an alternative to pantomime i know we've don- we're not that far away from christmas yet but got used to get yourself planning um it's going on a uk tour following a forthcoming season this summer at the world-famous London Palladium. So the London run is going to be with Jason Manford as the lion, Ashley Banjo as the tin man, and that starts at the Palladium on the 23rd of June and then up in Liverpool from Christmas, um, hopefully with a tour around the country after that. So fun for all the family and taking that absolutely beautiful classic show, classic songs on tour around the country.
0: And another tour, which I am very excited about and i have mentioned on this podcast before is the spongebob uk tour spongebob squarepants the musical is heading on tour in the uk and ireland it is opening on the 5th of april this year in southampton at the mayflower it's then visiting birmingham bradford oxford dublin manchester belfast cardiff aberdeen ahead of spending five weeks over the summer at the south bank queen elizabeth hall Prior to visiting Plymouth, it looks incredible. They've been announced in the cast. It's featuring Gareth Gates as Squidward. Davina DeCampo is playing Sheldon J. Plankton. Louis Corne as Spongebob. It's going to be amazing. It's, I'm so excited. I love this musical. It's daft. It's ridiculous. And it's just epic. <laughs>
1: So as we record this on Saturday morning, there has been one extra bit of news that we wanted to include, which is that the cast has been announced for Operation Mincemeat. David Cumming, Claire Marie Hall, Natasha Hudson, Jack Malone and Zoe Roberts are all going to be joining the, uh, the cast. They are the award winning cast that won 2023's Off West End Best Musical Production cast from the Southwark Pelly House slash Riverside Studios. And they're all going to be returning
0: for the West End transfer. Cast members David Cumming, Natasha Hodgson and Zoe Roberts, alongside Felix Hagen, form Spitlip, the writers and composers of Operation Mint Me. And earlier this month, Jet got a chance to sit down with them and hear all about the show.
1: Firstly, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on the West End Best Friend podcast.
4: Woohoo! Yay! Thanks for having us! (laughs) So many of us.
1: There are so many of you, so to get started, you are Spitlip, but could you introduce yourselves and tell us what it is that you do with the
2: group and with the show? Hello, my name is David Cumming. I am part of the company of Spitlip.
4: Hello, I'm Tash Hodgson. Uh, I'm a writer as well. I play the character Montague in Operation Ministry. Dave didn't tell you who he plays, but it's Chumley. I've done your work for you, Dave. You're welcome. Thanks.
3: I'm Zoe. I'm also part of Spitlip, the writers, and I play Bevan, amongst others, in the show.
5: I'm Felix, and I'm also part of Philip. Can't act. Can't <laughs> we act. keep him in the back. Just music. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Now, in case people are just turning and tuning in to the West End Best Friend Podcast for the first time, and they haven't heard me talk about Operation Mince Meat, which is unlikely, but they may not have. Who would like to take on telling us what Operation Mincemeat is all
4: about? So, yes, Operation Mincemeat is basically a crazy true spy story that happened during World War II where MI5 were rooting around for ideas to to like hoodwink Hitler in a variety of uh, strange and interesting ways and came across this idea of dressing up a corpse. They just found a homeless guy, dressed him as an officer, uh, threw him in the sea and hoped that he would basically convince Hitler with fake documents to move his troops somewhere they shouldn't be. It's a completely ridiculous story filled with re- completely insane characters and coroners and pilots and, and you know Ian Fleming, who wrote James Bond. And when we came across it, we couldn't believe that it was true, but it is. And so we thought that sounds like a bit of fun for a musical.
1: <laughs> well, I was just saying, the show has got something for everyone it's silly it's sentimental music's fun but it's heartfelt we've got history we've also got the skewing of the skewering of the british establishment have you got a key audience that you're like yeah they're the yeah they're the people who come or is it really one of i mean i've taken my in-laws to see it and, and i oh. uh, so you know really is one that it seems like it's connecting with people of all ages
3: west end theatre fans and none yeah, I think we that was kind of important to us, wasn't it? We, we wanted to make something that was really broad in its appeal. And broad doesn't have to mean that it's boring or kind of bland, but that there's something really juicy and exciting there for everybody. You know, it's a true story. There's some history in there, but it's not a history lesson. It's taking apart the British establishment, like you said. It's got some amazing contemporary tunes. It's got some absolute bangers in there. You know, we've had, like, an eight-year-old on the front row, like, nodding along and singing along to our shows. We've had, you know, we've had people in who were kind of like, oh, I remember the war. It was excellent. You know, we've kind of, we're not really pigeonholing who this is for. We think it's just for everybody who wants just a really stupidly entertaining night out, basically. I
4: I remember, uh, like, this has really stayed with me. We got a DM from a girl who brought her, like, quite right-wing Tory dad or stepdad because, I think, you know, old old tories love hearing about the war i'll tell you that for free and so you know you, <laughs> kinda, you can get them, get them into, into me because it is this world war ii story but we kind of obviously subvert and kind of take the piss and also we do lots of stuff with gender and so you know women play men and men play women and she dm'd us to say that she'd never managed to have a conversation about gender with her dad before and that this show like he, he came out of the show kind of going oh it's so interesting how you. T- forget who's playing who so instantly and that it doesn't matter and she was like and you know that was the first in that I'd ever had with him about like well you know gender is interesting it's a construct maybe things are more flexible than we thought and she just was like which is not a thing we ever sort of set out to do but is I think just such a lovely thing that can come out of a show like this where lots of things are blurred and it's a comedy but it's still emotional and you don't feel like you're being preached at you're just being you're just demonstrated other ways of being that maybe you hadn't thought about before.
1: No, I think that's brilliant. And yeah, you're completely right. As I say, I took my in-laws who are a lot more conservative than I am to it. And I was like, yeah, this will be the one for them. They'll have a lovely time. and they And they did have a lovely time and they now okay. understand why I've seen it. As many times <laughs> as i have um <laughs> so <laughs> we know that *Off Richmond's meet has had four stages you started the new diorama moved on to the southwark playhouse had a blockbuster season at riverside studios last year and now it's coming to the west end that so is let's... great
4: knowledge well done
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: almost like somebody sent me a press release <laughs> <laughs> uh... i did I, as i say i have as our besties know i have seen the show at most of its iterations so let's start at the very very beginning when did you begin writing this? What was your inspiration? Who who came who did it come to first?
4: Sorry, it will be me talking again. Sorry, I will stop talking. But this is just because it was my my um my family. So yeah, we we wanted to we wanted to write a musical. Me and Dave and Zoe were in a comedy troupe together. where We'd done lots of sort of ridiculous uh, shows that contained music, but had never written a musical before. And me and Felix were in a band where Felix um, wrote ridiculous glam punk slammers for us to perform around dodgy pubs in places in Coventry and, and places like that. So we kind of we decided to merge these talents and write a show. And we didn't know all we knew was that it was very hard to make money from music and very hard to get them put on at all and so we thought right we're going to go with an adaptation or a true story and we were searching around for stuff and we just couldn't find the right thing and we were really you know getting down about it and I was on holiday with my family and I was sort of you know lamenting the tragic life of an artist who can't find the right idea and my brother who was a very down-to-earth vet at the time sort of took his headphone out and was like I'm listening to a podcast that should be a musical and I was just like shut up Joe." Like, you can't just, you don't know how difficult it is to make art. And then I listened to the podcast and it turned out he was absolutely right. And we decided to make a musical about it. It was a Stuff You Should Know podcast about Operation Meat, And the second I finished it, I sent it to the other three and was like, guys, I think this might be it. And, and, here
2: and, we, were like, and we were like, a show about World War Two. I know, yeah. Who cares? Who, who cares about this? And then we listened and we were like, oh, wait. <laughs> What? That is and- <laughs> That is not the world that we ever were told talk about. And it's what now you been your entire
1: about? life for several years. And it's now been
2: downtown, yeah. So yeah, that was probably, back in 2017, yeah. so we've been making it since then. It was first on at the New Diorama in 2019, after we did a, a short, well, not a short, to one night scratch of it, of two songs only at the Lowry um, about a year earlier. And then we did a five-week run at the New Diorama, and that kind of birthed the first iteration of the show it was sprawling it was far too long some so scenes long. like 20, some so songs long. like 26 minutes. um it was bonkers <laughs> but it, 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 it's where the, it was the crucible that kind of made the the show what it is now
3: yeah yeah it's changed a lot but the bones are still there aren't they like you know the, it's still the essence of exactly what we started making five years ago <laughs>
4: We're just a lot. Our knees are a lot worse for wear. Yeah.
1: I
5: know. Yeah. When
1: you talk about the changes that you're making, I mean, you have got a cult following of this, and also it's exploded. You know, you've been re- reviewed in Variety. Like, it's it's made it across the pond. Everyone's very excited. How does that? I mean, does that add more pressure? Does that add more pressure? Like, no. When it comes uh, to making um... these changes, cutting songs, changing songs, that sort of thing, have you? How easy is it to make that separation of creators and go? No, actually, we know that this is better for the story, even though as actors, we know that this is getting they are getting responses to this in, in the room every night. Yeah. How do
2: you make that separation? It's a really interesting question because actually the, there's a, a, a the biggest change that anyone who's seen the show numerous times over the past few years would be the end of Act One number, that we have completely changed what that song is, how it is presented, what it's doing. It's now doing what we have always wanted it to do. It just took us a while to get there. And there was a little bit of, you know, pushback within ourselves of like, should we change this? You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's pretty it's good. Working. It? It's working. It's a fun song. It's a fun song. People are saying it's their favourite, but we would just say, like, but it just isn't right for our show and it's not right for the characters and it's not the right ending of that act. And you kind of have to just sit with yourselves and really only like you can only really between the four of you be like well if if we want to change it then we have to change it like we are the only ones we can listen to because it's our work and ultimately we have to sit with it and there has been some push not pushback but comments from people being like oh that was my favorite song why did you take it out Mm. (laughs) and you kind of have to go well unfortunately we are the writers and like it's uh, that's our prerogative as the artist to do that we think it's for the better there is another version of the show which someone else might write where they think the other version is better. But we do fundamentally feel the changes we make that we don't make them flippantly. We make them with a lot of um, uh, you know our, our noses to the grindstone and working really hard to make something better. So we don't change things flippantly.
5: And sorry if anyone likes it is, them like advance, but the thing. The thing. The thing is, though, you know, because this is a live experience and. Yeah, we've taken that out, but we did a lot of performances with it in, and we kind of shared that together with people. So it was like, you know, it was like a special thing that we all had for that, for that time. And now things have evolved. But it's like, uh, I don't know, there's something beautiful about giving people that unique thing which they can take with them. And, you know, that memory still exists.
1: Well, we, 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 <laughs> we spoke to Paul Taylor Mills for a, the podcast last episode. And M.T. Fest is on as we're recording. It's currently on at two different theatres across London. And it will probably be over by the time we hear this. But what we were talking about with him specifically is, you know, these new shows, when people get to see them as they're through development, they get to feel that ownership over them from the beginning, which gets them really excited about it. But then also as creators, when you then go, well, actually, it was too long, as opposed to this is a workshop and we're going to put more in, you do have that double edged sword of being like, yeah, we have got rid of your favourite song now.
4: I think uh, also I there's something think... of like 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 it's what's amazing like it's amazing to have people so passionate about this show that they're like I must tell you this is how I feel about this song. This summit like and I feel like you're making a huge mistake. Like it's kind of it's kind of gorgeous that that people feel that way and that they have that passion uh, for it. But also I, I do think there's a the thing like when you go and see something for the first time, you can never recapture having seen something for the first time. And I think the shine of seeing a show for the first time can sometimes get mistaken for key elements being correct or not correct like and that's not to trying to be like patronizing or whatever but you know it's f- from our from our viewpoint which is like every night we do it we do it, we, know, we know the show as well as anyone can know anything and you know it we we feel we feel heavy you know the responsibility of making people feel happy and that they're, they're seeing the best version of the show and and I do and I do think and hope that you know every work every bit of work that we do towards it it has the double-edged sword of yes, like people getting beautifully passionate about it and we couldn't be more grateful for that. But also we we have we have to keep, we're, we're in this deep. We've, been, we've done this for this long. We've got to just finish it. And you do know it best, topic.
3: you know, you're the ones who are hearing it and have known it from start to finish. I think what's been amazing for us is that we've, we've had such a brilliant following from audiences and we've done such periods of like workshopping. Like you say, we've done huge stretches of workshopping and previewing the show particularly because it's comedy, we need to test things in front of an audience. Like we can make each other laugh, but we can then land a gag in the theatre and it falls like an absolute stone. And we have to go, oh, that one's just for us then, I guess. But, and again, we're going to be previewing, that's why we're previewing it for five weeks in the West End so that we can, I mean, so we can finish the damn thing, but also so that we can get feedback and help the audience have helped shape the show. It's not been sure. made in a silo. They've definitely contributed and that feedback even if occasionally we reserve the right to go, well, thank you for the feedback, but we're going to ignore you. But actually loads of it has just been absolutely crucial in in shaping the whole thing from the the chaos that was the 2019 version that we first introduced. So we yeah, we we love how vocal audiences have been and that they're right there with us and that they share the journey. They remember the stuff we got rid of, but they also see what we've kept and they've seen us make mistakes and props disappear before <laughs> our very fingers and costume, costume changes go off. wrong. Nice. And, you know that, Yeah exactly that's all going to be like a re- that's that's a really special part of the journey for us as well as it is for them so we kind of yeah we love
5: that. Having people that have seen it like so many times and and you know and hanging out with people to whom the show means so much it's on the flip side of that it's like when we do make a change, and then you see the kind of joy that it brings people, where it's like, oh, now, now, because of the thing, it's like the characters that we've fallen in love with, their arc makes even more sense, or it has even more jeopardy, and all of this stuff. It's like, but that's a really beautiful kind of affirmation and tells you you're making the right decision. It's like, that's the kind of the way the feedback is, becomes so important. It's
2: also, it's also for a Specifically for musicals, it's a very unusual way to make a musical. You don't usually get to see a full two act show, and then it goes away and come and they retool it and comes back on like on numerous occasions. Usually they're they're built in kind of secrecy for about seven years, just shown in pre uh, private showings, and then you see the previews and they work on it there. But they they're kind of almost complete by that point and almost too big to fail by that point, and it can't really like change much. So it's quite an unusual experience for musical theatre fans to be quite so close to the the process of of making
1: it sort of reminds me of you know if you think of say the adaptation of tick tick boom that was done recently and all of a sudden you know you you go further into it and it's only because rent did so well that you can go deep 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 back into the archive of jonathan larson and really get into that and that's something that became after the fact whereas you've sort of got it as you're going along where you go (laughs) you know that people are saving your first flyers from the original previews and that sort of thing and it's you know they're sort of historicizing it as you go which almost makes it a sacred text and therefore must make it even more difficult for you guys to be like yeah but we are still in charge and we are still the artists <laughs> so like yeah. let go let go it's gonna be okay
2: it's been, <laughs> yeah. it's been very humbling actually as artists because we you know this isn't our first, it's our first musical but it's certainly not our first show but it's I think we think probably because there is so much music and because musicals like create such a stronger bond with an audience I think because there is music involved so much more you just feel it on a more visceral level but it has been very humbling being part of something where the show feels like it means just as much to the audience as it does to us if not even more so in some cases and like this show really does mean a lot to a a lot of people and that it, it feels you know we we feel that we do own it, but also we're kind of like the, the custodians of this thing that actually a lot of people feel a lot of warmth to, and that's very it's a very humbling thing to to, to have gone through.
4: And and definitely like it's it's tricky that balance because like we we, we don't want to let these people down, you know, like they've been with us from the start. And so when you hear that they, you know, people aren't sure about you know, going you've gotta hold the faith, but also we we make shows for people to enjoy. Mm-hmm. We write shows and write jokes and write songs so that people Have a lovely time listening to them. You do want to make people happy, and and we want to make these people happy. Like that, we feel very strongly bonded to them. And anyone who comes and sees it, we we are really grateful, and we want to listen. It's just yeah, it's 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 a grey area. It's a balance, and we're still and you know we're still gonna be figuring it out all through previews until we open in in May. So there's still there's still work to be done. The work the work will have to cease at some point, but for now the work the work continues. So. Audience
1: pressure aside, the other key thing when it comes to adapting it at the moment is you've got a much bigger stage to be dealing with. How is that ramping up of the of the scale of it? You know, I obviously don't, you know, don't want to give any secrets away, but you've got a beautifully crafted five hander at the moment. And now you've got a big West End theatre. Is that something that you're having to have a think about?
3: actually, I think what's amazing about the Fortune is that it, it isn't this enormous stadium-like, you know, sort of cold West End space where you're gonna be, you know, five miles from, like it's a Beyonce gig and with specs on the stage. What's incredible about it actually is that it's this kind of cozy, fairly small West End space where there's not a bad seat in the house. Everyone is gonna be up close to the action, which for comedy particularly, and for like connecting to people, is really important to us. And actually, like you say, it's a smaller scale show. And what we always like about it is the kind of size of story we deliver. And you know, the places we manage to take people with, you know, just a bit of dexterity and a bit of imagination. And so it's kind of we're definitely going to be retaining that aspect of the show, that kind of small heart that we've, you know, small heart, big story. Big heart, small people, tiny people, big tiny people. I don't know.
4: Huge lungs, yeah.
5: yeah.
4: <laughs> I think we we just yeah, we just it... wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't think we could keep what makes the show special, special and small. And also if if because you know it, it's not like other West End shows, and we don't want it to be. We don't want to suddenly go and don't worry now we're gonna fly in the dancers like Mm -hmm. you know that's next year when we take over the o2 but for this year we felt so good we sort of saw the fortune and saw the the scale of it that actually what we can do with this run hopefully is galvanize everything that people have responded to it, all the things that we want to make with theatre which is showing people that you don't need an enormous budget, showing that you don't need a huge cast of, of you know loads of people to tell a huge story because you know we are not, we we came to this show having very little money, having no props, having a few bloody good hats and we damn well don't know you know yeah. not afraid to use them and I think it would be a real shame for us and for what we wanted to say and how we want to make theatre to, to to kind of cross the finish line and go don't worry, guys. We're going to change everything now and and show you that actually that was all for nothing. It would it would be against the spirit of the show and us as theatre makers and and show makers to to try and to we need to keep celebrating that to show other people that it can be it's important and you got it you got to keep doing it.
2: As decades long makers of fringe theatre, it's important that we we recognise where it's come from, the theatres that have helped us get here, the the new diorama and the Lowry. That's also important to us that when we move, we're given this opportunity by the Fortune to go in, which is, you know, unbe- unbelievable, a dream come true, that we don't just kind of change the show to become something else, but we also don't put the gates up in terms of ticket prices, that like, it was important to us that we try and keep the show accessible as to people like ourselves, who can't barely afford to see what is seen as the like top end work of our industry in the West End. We can barely afford to ever see it. So, we, we can't
4: afford. We know ne- we can well, never afford.
1: Well, yeah, good. I mean, I have friends who work yeah. on uh, cabaret at the Tick Tac, uh, the Kit Club, and all the time it's like, yeah, I cannot afford. you know, or yeah, I can work front of house here, but I can't afford to come and see the show.
2: So it's I've got crazy. a vague idea
1: what's happening, Um yeah. and yes, I think that that, that, massively that's massively important. Why,
2: yeah, that's why we tried. I mean, the, the previews are all thirty five pounds, which is the same price it was at Riverside, and then we've worked really hard to keep some cheap tickets available. So Mondays and Tuesdays for the for the eight weeks of the actual run are still thirty five pounds a ticket no matter where you sit so you know it's it's important that people from the fringe can see that their work actually does deserve the bigger stages as well that's important to us
1: So from that fringe theatre perspective, I think that brings me on to one of my questions, which is great, which is we all, as creatives, we make our work and there's often a balance between like the stuff that we do that's commercial, that pays the bills and the stuff that's our art that we actually get to do and never the twain shall meet. So so at what point in it did you start going and, and, you know, people were whispering West End, West End, West End, this is going to work, it's going to transfer. And how did that start feeling?
4: Yeah. It well, still doesn't feel like it's happening. Honestly, no,
3: like, I, I'm still expecting us to sort of like rock up on day one, have to load a small van yeah. full of boxes of hats ourselves, do our own laundry, sweep the stage. You know, yeah. go out. Remember the van the
4: that we did? There were the one tour where the van was filled with glass. Do you remember that? Oh my God. and water,
3: broken or Bro- contained? broken. broken glass. Oh, of
4: course, yeah. broken glass. Yeah, yeah, different yeah. show. I think that's the thing. Like, I think ultimately. What well, what well, thing is, I think what's nice about this is that if tomorrow someone said to us, sorry guys, it turns out it was a fun joke and everyone's gone, haha, <laughs> you're not going to do this, everyone hates you, we would be like, well, I guess we'll just have to write the next, you know, I think, you know, we we love making shows together, we always have, we love getting in a room and writing songs and making stupid jokes and I think ultimately that's just always going to be the case pending our inevitable lawsuits and beefs and all that kind of, of stuff. Yeah, we will end up suing each other, but I think it's obviously incredible and unbelievable that we're taking our show to the West end. <laughs> what are we talking
2: about?
1: But <laughs> well, I think the I do having think three be- other people. So you can turn to being like, you got that email too, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we often say to each other, like, how would you cope with this if you were by yourself? Like, you know, if you were just oh, alone. So bonkers. Yeah. Um yeah. But uh, in, in terms of like the differences, like, it doesn't feel real. But what what has been really interesting is kind of watching the show grow because usually in the fringe it's just unless the four people who run the company want to do something, it's not. It's just not going to happen because you are doing everything. And now it feels like there is a kind of it's it's become a bit of a machine because it's like there's conversations happening. There's other people working on the show that w- we aren't involved in every conversation, and that's been a really interesting transition to move towards um I still don't believe it's true I think they're all lying and pretending and it is just a big joke but it's it it, it's it's interesting watching your show kind of become live outside of you if that makes sense
4: but I do th- I do think ultimately it's going to feel the same. Sorry guys. I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm I, but I just think it's going to be us in a room arguing forever until we're dead. Like that's <laughs> what it's going to be. We're oh, yeah, like yeah. oh the beginning of act 2 is not working still. Yeah. You know, it's just going to be that until you know we we've known each other for years. We went to uni together most of us. So
3: the flip side of that is that also we're trying to make each other laugh for a job <laughs> forever. You know, we're all. That's what always pushes us. That's what part of, part of always wanting to change it, always wanting to edit it, is there's always part of your brain going, "Could I come through this door a bit funnier?" Could <laughs> they enjoy it if I if I put this hat on in a different way? Yeah. We're always going to be searching to we, we. You know, we're so privileged that we're just making joyful stuff with our friends and making each other laugh that's always going to push us to be and that's the same as when we
4: you know me and Zoe live together at uni just coming through doors in a funny way that's just (laughs) it's the same but
1: with that, you know, you've got so much energy now has been going into Mincemeat for such a long time and you've been working together, creating shows together for, for a long time. I I remember you right making the uh, video during the stage debut awards during lockdown, all of you in your own bathtubs, you know, absolute chaos. Are you having those chances to explore other ideas outside of it and, or do you just go, that's a fun idea, I'll write it down in my notes app and we'll come back to that in a decade? In short,
4: yeah. yes. The
2: <laughs> the second. Yeah, we'd love we 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 don't have space. We'd love to work on other things because we you know we, we love to do that. But we are we're just full time on this at the moment, um, uh, which is great. Um, but once this is done, we are we also get bored really quickly. So you know we'll just suddenly be like, right, come on, uh, let's uh, do something else. So. But right now, no, we don't have a second show up our sleeve that's ready to go. Imagine <laughs> if we did, that would
4: be so cool that's
1: of us. Slackers, <laughs> absolutely terrible. Yeah. Well, I mentioned before, you know, you've mentioned the show began, uh, the Lowry, then the New Diorama, and you have all been very vocal about supporting new writing, especially the New Diorama's current untapped scheme. Why is that so important to you guys?
5: Yeah. We wouldn't be here it's,
4: without it. We wouldn't it's have our careers if it we weren't for the Lowry. Like, we went, yeah. we came to them, we were little comedy makers being like, please, can we have a pound? <laughs>
5: and, <laughs> and they was, were like,
4: yeah. I mean, yeah. they,
3: yes, we will give you, they've always we'll give been... you
4: guidance.
3: Yeah, they've been kind of kind of amazing. The thing that I that we think is incredible about them, amongst you know, there are there are lots of venues that support new work, but the New Diorama particularly just have this ability to go. But wait, what's what's this other problem that you've got, or what's the actual barrier? Well, let's brainstorm how we can solve that. Let's not just do stuff that other people. No, we're not just going to chuck you a couple of hundred quid and and hope for the best, or you know, do things by the book. I mean, I think the, one of the first things that they did for us when we were writing as a comedy troupe was we went to them and went so we can't cash flow going to the Edinburgh Festival we think we're going to make the money back we can we can get there but you have to pay all the money up front and we don't have it can you cash flow it and actually they, they went well yeah I guess actually you can have a loan and then you pay it back and that's how it works and and then that became something they started doing for other companies and it's it's just amazing that you don't get that kind of flexibility of thinking in a lot of venues because obviously they face their own challenges in yeah. a time when no money is going to the arts, but they're always considering how do we bounce whatever support we get to the artists, which is how new work gets made and how artists survive. So it's just yeah, they're they're incredible.
2: It's yeah. truly yeah, truly radical thinking that they have there in it in it. And as 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 we've all said, we quite simply wouldn't we we wouldn't be in a place to work together still to start making mincemeat if we hadn't have had the decade of support that we've had from the new Diarama and the Lowry prior to that because we simply wouldn't that's where we that's where we learned to write together that's where we learned what our style is that's where we created it um support your local venues give them
4: money they are doing god's work they are are bringing (laughs) you the most innovative stuff that you're going to see Yeah, we've spoken about
1: the diorama closing down for a season and going, okay, actually, we're meant to be learning post-pandemic about how we treat artists. We're meant to be learning about what we want to say and what theatre we want to be making. And I think that, you know, having the the grace and the power to say, you know, to sit in it and go, we're going to take some time out, guys, and actually work out what we want to do here is such a powerful thing to do. And it means that we get even more specific stories that really show new audiences, new things. And I think that's really special.
2: And also, I get on the, in terms of the, the new diorama and specifically Mincemeat, we were part of that season where they listened to artists the year before who they were like, what do you need? And then we were all like, more than three nights of a run because the press don't care. Like, no, you, couldn't, you can't sell your tickets. You can't get word of mouth. So they were like, overnight, we're like, cool. Well, instead of, you know, getting 300 shows a year, we'll do eight shows and give them each five weeks or whatever uh, which is unbelievably radical to just decide to change your programming model like that and then for our show specifically meant that we had a five week run of this new musical which actually then meant like you know the, the higher levels of press started to come through by the end there was word of mouth it got traction which quite frankly it would never have had without those that length of run and so we wouldn't be here right now.
4: And, you know, and there's the other shows, the Black Boys Who Considered Suicide when the hue was too great, that we had transferred to the Royal Court and is now transferring to the West End. Like, it is, the yeah. results of their programme are undeniable. And it yeah, just yeah. comes down to, they take the risk too. It's not just us taking yeah. the risk. It's they take proper you. real risks on artists. And by and because they do that, you feel like they trust you. Yeah. And yeah. it means that you follow your instincts and you make bolder, better work. Yeah, that's that's so
1: now I'm aware of the time so I've got one last question for you which is before you go into your crazy rehearsal schedule and cancel all your plans for the rest of the year what shows established and new are you excited by this year
4: Well we are going to go and see uh, Standing at the Sky's Edge uh, I have musical. tickets for,
1: yeah, I have tickets for that Saffield, for next month um, very which, exciting
4: uh, looks so good so exciting there's a couple of people that we know in it incredible book incredible voices the set looks amazing uh, we're gonna go we're excited to go and see the tour of pride and prejudice sort of which okay. is coming back to london next week because we heard fantastic things again they're sort of ensemble of women multi-rolling uh, comedy so we're really stoked to see that as well lads any of those coming up
3: i don't think it's coming up mm-hmm. um the new the the oklahoma revival yes yes really i've exciting. seen that it's I, very I, good I yeah oh, that, that
1: feels great. like an exciting it Looks very meeting. sexy, sexy. Yeah. Very sexy mm. and very orchestration is very interesting very much like aha this is what we thought this is this is what it is now oh, cool. okay I'm on board with that
3: well uh, given it was the also- first musical I was ever in I'm <laughs> waiting for a call too, so tell again, to tell that story what was your role no. what was your role Zoe we- uh Aunt Ella which I believe, uh, as a as a as a seventeen-year-old girl, I played an old it's crone. Not the casting that seventeen-year-olds ch- really always want. I don't know, but if you've got a short haircut, I think at seventeen, then you really nail it. And I pretended to churn butter for fifteen minutes on stage while the audience came That's in. Very
4: well churn <laughs> butter <laughs> after fifteen minutes. We've never yeah. used that
3: talent of yours again. We should
4: do no. um, in in, in a comedy. Real news- slow turn.
2: Um, when you, when you're asking if there's any changes happening to the show for the West End, I well, think we so. no <laughs>
4: Fifteen-minute butter sequence, yeah. please. Um, a my friend's chatting uh, storyline. Tess- yeah, it's great. Tess- Tessa Coates, comedian Tessa Coates, is going to the Soho. Uh, she's brilliant and a weirdo, so you should go and see her as well.
1: Amazing. Well, besties, there's some recommendations for you. Operation (laughs) Mincemeat previews start on the 29th of March with the eight week run from the 9th of May to the 8th of July 2023 at the Fortune Theatre. You can get tickets at operationmincemeat.com and you might see me there because I have tickets for every month till July. Um, Everyone, (laughs) thank you so, so much for spending your time with us today uh, and joining us on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me so
4: much Absolute pleasure, thank you (laughs) What a churn chat And I
1: look forward to the outstanding order in the post soon
0: And of course, if you want to see Operation Mincemeat yourself It's on at the Fortune Theatre Previews begin on March the 29th And the show runs until July the 8th You can get tickets online at operationmincemeat.com And priority tickets are available through the official mailing list
1: this episode I mentioned that I've been stuck inside a lot this month, and as I've been home so much, I've still been in need of a theatre fix, which means I've been watching whatever I can get my hands on on TV. It actually got me thinking all about the history of the musical on screen, and it dates back all the way to 1927. The musical on screen starts in 1927, when the talkies were first invented. The first musical was called The Jazz Singer, And it was an amazing show that did a pre-recorded audio track and it matched it with the story of a jazz singer in New York. This was the first one and then the following year we had Broadway Melody, which actually won the best picture at the Oscars. What was really novel about these really early films is that they really immersed you in the world of Broadway and backstage. They wanted to show off all of the different audio techniques because this was the first time the audiences were ever gonna be hearing music and dialogue and singing all at the same time um, on film. Film. And so, at the start of Broadway Melody, you've got the singer singing, but just before it, you've got uh, people practicing, tuning up their instruments, and doing little bits of um, improv with each other. And it's this whole cacophony of sound that you listen to, and you can find this all on YouTube, where they're just where they're just throwing everything at you, so that the audience just goes. Oh my goodness. Um, It actually reminded me a bit of the start of fame where all of the different actors are, are practicing their instruments and getting ready for rehearsals and auditions. Very, very fun.
0: This period of American filmmaking was dominated by the studio system. All creatives from actors and directors to writers and choreographers would work with one of the big studios, who also had control of where the films would be released. They had the space for big numbers and the stars of the era locked into contracts that would see them produce film after film for the studio and the paying audience's benefit.
1: The big five studios included Warner Brothers, Paramount, Fox and RKO, but it was Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer or MGM that became synonymous with the movie musical.
0: MGM used to boast that it has more stars than there are in heaven. But despite winning the first best opera picture for the Broadway Melody in 1929, at the beginning of the 1930s, the other studios were putting up fierce competition.
1: Fox has Shirley Temple and Betty Grable. Over at RKO, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were dancing up a storm, and at Warner Brothers was Busby Berkeley. Now, you've probably heard of Berkeley. He was the director and choreographer who's synonymous with big dance sequences featuring synchronised dancers, scantily clad, and making kaleidoscopic patterns, all shot from above. Between 1933 and 1935, Berkeley was involved in 14 different films, including the original film production of My Beloved 42nd Street in 1933. 42nd Street brought the idea of an all-singing, all-dancing backstage pasta Broadway to the audiences of the early
0: 1930s. MGM then needed to pull out all the stops and their secret weapon was the producer Arthur Freed, who began to build a stable of stars including Gene Kelly, Judy Garland and directors including Berkeley and Vincent Minnelli, later husband Judy Garland and father of Liza. Arthur Freed, according to BFI, made conscious decisions to transform the genre of musical films with unashamably artistic combinations of music and movement, colour and chic, star performance and emotional authenticity. It was Freed who was behind The Wizard of Oz 1939 and continued to champion the young Judy Garland alongside Mickey Rooney.
1: Hits of the time from MGM include Meet Me in St. Louis from 1944, On the Town from 1949, An American in Paris, Singing in the Rain and Kiss Me Kate. So many of MGM's musicals have become classics, which are still loved
0: today. We can't talk about musicals of the screen without talking about Disney, and especially the golden age of Disney. So, Disney Studios and Animation were used to create musicals to enhance the entertainment of all ages, starting in 1937 with the release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, iconic films including Pinocchio from 1940 and Fantasia also released in 1940, through to Cinderella in 1950 and Lady and the Tramp in 1955. They all experimented with just how much could be achieved through matching animation with Sound and music.
1: By the late 60s, the studio system was floundering, and after Walt Disney's death in 1966, Disney moved away from making many musicals for a couple of decades. But many credit Disney with keeping the love of musicals alive through the 70s to the early 90s. Whilst live-action musical hits began to be few and far between, Greece in 1978 was an exception to the rule. It was musical animations that captured the hearts of a whole new generation. This period is known as the Disney Renaissance, and it includes 1989's The Little Mermaid, 1991's Beauty and the Beast, and 1992's Aladdin.
0: One of Disney's great successes in its new films was capturing the star power of Broadway and the West End's biggest names and having them lend their voices to characters. In the 70s and 80s, musicals such as Jesus Christ Superstar and Les Miserables were becoming blockbuster attractions. Disney included musical theatre actresses including Lea Salong, Jodie Benson and Paige O'Hara.
1: And of course, a lot of musical theatre fans will have grown up with the iconic recordings of musicals that were doing well in this time including a straight to video release that stole the hearts of so many people of my generation cats in 1998. By the early 1990s and 2000s we had a whole new generation of movie musicals hitting the screen things like moulin rouge from 2001 and then smaller um smaller films more independent films like hedwig and the angry inch and priscilla queen of the desert who started to champion alternative voices and um different cultures rather than just taking us backstage into the way of broadway having a chance at telling new stories completely
0: Yes, and also on the small screen, we have seen lots of kind of musical TV shows which have been very popular within the community. Shows like Crazy Ex Girlfriend, Smash, Smigadoon, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Central Park, Julie and the Phantoms, just to name a few.
3: And
1: then, of course, there is the new tradition of the teen drama musical episode, which began with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and took on How I Met Your Mother, and we can even talk about Riverdale.
0: There's enough there for an entire episode on its own. And not forgetting the Disney Channel original movies, such as Descendants, which has got its own franchise. Again, live action musical straight to the small screens. And also massive franchises like High School Musical all started on Disney Channel.
1: Yeah, it's amazing to think how it's come from this giant studio system to having shows that are made just for people to sit home and watch, capturing the voices of generations of musical theatre stars and creating new content every single day. And, Robin, of course, there are all of the new musicals that are doing absolutely amazing things at the box office. We've got The Greatest Showman, we've got La La Land, Matilda. Some of them have started in, you know, some of them started in the theatre, some of them started just for the screen. But it's really reviving that all singing, all dancing, everyone coming out to watch it. Jingle Jangle is another one, which is one of my favourites at Christmas time,
0: really capturing hearts for a new generation. Besties, what's your favourite made for screen musical? Are you an old fashioned fan loving the 50s classics, or is it Baz Luhrmann's Red Curtain trilogy all the way? Let us know. You can email us at webfpodcasts at gmail.com.
1: Just like that, we're at the end of another episode. I can't believe how much we fit in this month. Spitlit, a hundred year history of musicals on the silver screen. Um, Yeah, hundred years. Goodness. And next episode is already looking exciting. If you're looking for something to whet your appetite, let me just say famous double acts.
0: Or should that be infamous? (laughs) Remember, if you want to get tickets to see Operation Mincemeat, if Jet hasn't bought them all already, go to operationmincemeat.co.uk
1: and if you want to keep up to date with all of the latest theatre news and reviews, make sure to follow West End Best Friend on social. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. You really can't miss us. But if you want to keep up more up to date, we're at westendbestfriend.co.uk.
0: Until next time, I've been Robin Dibbin. And I am Jack Gerbertson. See, See you soon. soon.